In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. This is the word of the Lord. I need Christ, and so do you. I need Christ because he alone forgives my sin and has the authority and the power to do so. He teaches me by his grace and forgiveness how to love my wife and my children and my grandchildren. He and he alone, by his grace, rescues me from the self-centeredness of my flesh. He and he alone, by his grace, teaches me how to make use of my temporal goods, not for my own benefit, but for the benefit of those whom he has entrusted to me, the members of my family and my neighbor. He and he alone, by his grace and mercy in the call of the gospel, teaches me how to forgive and how to pray for those who are the enemies of the Lord in this crazy time of woke awareness, which is nothing but diabolical darkness. He gives me a word to speak to you, to the congregation to those who are troubled by their sins, that you might know and believe in him and be comforted by him, and that he might bring forth the fruits of his grace in your own lives. We all need him because he is the Son of God, our Savior, who has come in the flesh to redeem us with his holy, precious blood. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for our forgiveness, and not for ours only, but also for a world that hates God and that hates everything that is good. And so we have before us in the gospel for today the parable of the great feast. The invitation is the gospel, the proclamation of what Jesus has done with the invitation come to the feast. In that invitation, come to the feast, he calls all of us to trust in him and not ourselves. Luther said that if you knew that Christ were present somewhere on this earth, would you not run a hundred miles in order to see him and receive his word? The answer ought to be yes. Yes. But so often, like those who made excuses in the 
parable of the great feast, we are often preoccupied with so many other things that must be done. And one of the worst preoccupations of all is to hold on to the sins and the grudges that we have against another. To do so means that we end up letting go of and frittering away God's grace. And the result of that is always an introverted life. Well, Christ is present here, calling us to repentance for such things. To admit fully our sin and culpability for the problems of our life and the transgressions of the law, for the self-centeredness of our flesh, and to let go of the sins of one another as we kneel here at the altar. Christ is present here, calling us to repentance, forgiving sin, and giving us to eat of his body and blood. The invitation to the great feast, while it certainly includes the invitation to the supper of our Lord, ought not to be simply narrowly defined as an invitation to the supper, but rather an invitation to entrust the entirety of our lives to the grace of God in Jesus. The call to repentance, it leads to baptism. Baptism into Christ leads us to an ongoing life of catechesis in that gospel, to confession and absolution, to a life of love for the neighbor. And we are strengthened in that life here at the altar of the Lord. Unfortunately, like those in the parable of the great feast, we are often preoccupied with the cares of this life and give more attention to the self-righteousness of our sinful flesh. Lord, have mercy upon us. Give us a holy desire for Christ alone. That ought to be our prayer this week. Teach me to let go of everything else that I might otherwise trust in and believe in you, Lord Jesus. Jesus told the parable of the Great Supper following a discussion with the Pharisees about how the Pharisees only invited to their feasts those who could repay them or those who could, you know, be a benefactor to them, then it's kind of profitable to do that. I will treat them with great grace and generosity, and in exchange for this, I'll receive something in return. Why would I invite someone who has no ability to repay me. He condemned their pharisaical works righteousness by calling them to invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Did you notice at the beginning of that, it said he was angry. What makes God angry more than anything else is a despising of the free grace of God in Jesus that causes us to hold the sins of others against them. So invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid in the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the righteous, those who are justified by faith in Jesus alone and not by their own works. So then after that, the parable of the Great Supper immediately followed. And it teaches us that the call of the gospel to faith in Christ is based on grace and not by works, nor is it based upon social standing, socioeconomic standing, nor is it based upon what the world calls race, 
what we call differences in ethnicity as Christians, for there is only one race. Paul talked about it in the epistle for today, this wall of partition that made of the two one. He was talking about the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews so often throughout their history despise the Gentile. They're not worthy. They're not the chosen as if they were chosen by their own merits, but they were chosen by grace alone that through the call of the gospel they receive, they might be a blessing even to the Gentiles. So St. Paul says he is made out of the two one, made one by the blood of Christ, that no one, Jew or Gentile, should glory in themselves. Whenever we rely upon anything or anyone else or any other distinction, some are worthier than others, we deny Christ and the gift of salvation that comes to us in his word. And the result is, as I said at the outset, that it curves us in upon ourselves. Just as the Pharisees. Let's go through an outline of the parable. The Great Supper represents the feast of salvation, forgiveness, life, all that Jesus has done for us that comes to us in our baptism, in catechesis, in preaching, in absolution, and culminates in the great supper of our Lord Jesus. The invitation, the call of the gospel, come. You who are broken and heavy laden with sin, come. The excuses are the works righteous ways that sinners try to save themselves. The poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind really represent all sinners. In other words, in the call of the gospel, we are all to see ourselves as poor, even if we're rich in the eyes of the world. We are all to see ourselves as lame, maimed cripples, even though we might be physically fit and able to run a marathon. Spiritually, we are poor and maimed and lame and blind. And only when we come to believe this and learn to know that that is the truth will the call of the gospel be of comfort to us. And finally, we partake of the great supper by hearing Christ's word. And then, in the call to repentance and faith, kneeling to receive him here. God the Father has prepared this salvation for all in his Son. And that is signified in the parable when the Master sends out the servant and says, All things are ready. Come to the feast. It ought to remind us of Jesus' words from the cross, it is finished. All is done for you, come. But they all began to make excuses. I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Now, you should have noticed the emphasis in recounting those words. I have bought, I have bought, I have married. There's nothing wrong with land. In those days, there certainly was nothing wrong with oxen. You needed them to till the field. And God is not putting down marriage here. Marriage is God's institution between a man and a woman for the procreation of children and the giving and receiving of love. But by these excuses, he is rather highlighting how the spirit of works 
righteousness in ordinary activities of our lives tends to supplant the one thing needful, namely the gospel of Jesus and his mercy and faith in him above all things. I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Do you remember the promise God made to Abraham? I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll give you the land. The promised land really was real estate. But the promised land signified the gift of salvation, the gift of salvation on the basis of the promise, not because they were better than any other nation of people on the face of the earth. So the Jews misinterpreted the promise made to Abraham the promise of the land. For them, they turned the promise into works righteousness, that they had earned the right to the land, the property, the real estate. But they hadn't. Yet they so often believed that they had. It's not unlike those in the church today who stand before God believing they have a right to his grace by their merits rather than by what Jesus has done for us. The land or the ground ought to be understood as the gift of the inheritance. That's why in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth, the land, represents the new heavens, the new earth, the gift of salvation in Jesus. That's the heritage, the inheritance that has promised those who believe in him. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. The number five in the scriptures almost invariably takes us back to the Torah, the five books of Moses. Here again, the Jews of Jesus' time so often misinterpreted the law. They believed that the law showed them how they could save themselves and bring about a prosperous life according to their own desires. In other words, for them, the law was something that they believed that they could manipulate God with. Look at what I have done. We, the Jews, are superior to those Gentiles because of our obedience to the law. Therefore, God, you owe us. But the five books of Moses ultimately are about Christ what it is to love God with all one's heart and soul and mind and strength and the neighbor in place of oneself. The five books of Moses are about Christ and the call to forsake all attempts to manipulate God by our own efforts or by his own law. I thank God I am not like others, those murderers, adulterers, or those who are wrapped up in woke ideology. The law is about Christ. The law calls us to repentance, that we might see our sin and how much we need the Lord Jesus. Finally, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Here again, the Pharisees of Jesus' day misinterpreted the gift of wife and marriage. Marriage and family was, for them, a status symbol. Marriage and family is rather about living in Christ and passing on his love and salvation to the next generation of Christians, not about serving the appetites 
and desires of the flesh. For us, as Christians, marriage is about living in Christ, that the life that we live in self-sacrificial love for one another might actually manifest the invitation to the great feast very concretely, that there's something different about those families, those marriages and families that believe in the grace of God. And that in itself is to become attractive to the unbelieving world which, if you haven't noticed, is unhappy, miserable, and full of anger. Each of the three excuses demonstrates, in one form or another, a works-righteous faith. There's really only two faiths in all of the world, regardless of religions. Faith in the grace of God, not of works, Christianity, or faith in some kind of human endeavor. Each of the excuses began with those words, I have bought, I have bought, I have married. And so we are to see ourselves in these things. Whenever we focus on our works, the tendency is to despise others, to hold on to resentment, and to the sin and failings and shortcomings of others. And it doesn't mean there isn't sin and failings. There is. But we are all cut from the same cloth. We are all called by the word of God to understand ourselves as poor and lamed and maimed and blind that we might come to know Jesus alone and place our full confidence in him. The call of the gospel invites all of us to see ourselves in this light very simply as sinners who need Jesus. The great supper of salvation begins now in this world, as the call and invitation of the gospel goes out as long as there is life and breath from now into our Lord's return. It begins now in this life as the repentant, baptized, faithful hear Jesus' word and kneel together at his altar, red and yellow, black and white, young and old, rich or poor, sick or healthy. The promised land, the purpose of the law, and even why we marry can only be understood and received rightly through faith in the grace of God. Then we can use the gifts of the land for the benefit of others and a testimony to Jesus. Then we can use the work that God has privileged us to do, tilling with our oxen to serve our neighbor in love then we can get married, not to fulfill the desires of our flesh, but to bear witness to the heavenly bridegroom who gave his life for the church. Our heavenly Father extends the invitation of the gospel to each of you constantly. It's why we meditate upon the promises of God. It's why we learn them by heart. Through these, the Holy Spirit continues to call us away from self-righteousness to reliance upon the Lord Jesus. And so we might pray this way. Heavenly Father, by your word and spirit, teach me to believe that I have been made poor, maimed, lame, and blind by sin, so that I hear the invitation of the gospel and run with repentant faith to the great supper of Jesus' forgiveness, life, and salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.